Filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. If you need legal representation on employment issues, including wage and hour disputes, discrimination and harassment claims, wrongful termination, you need help with a severance package or non-compete clauses, or you just need equal employment opportunity and civil rights representation, general civil litigation, or even defamation, the Ehrlich Law Office has you covered if you are in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia. For a free consultation, head over to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Everything Goats apparently is selling uh, 20s and t-shirts that say Vote Goat 2016, um, which <laughs> I is just pretty saw, exciting. I just I retweeted it, uh, and if you are listening to this, if you hear if this doesn't get chopped out, um, you can go through our Twitter feed and you will find a link to purchase these. They're discounted, so not only are you supposed to vote for animals rather than humans, you can buy a shirt informing people of your opinion on the matters. Well, the important saw, matters of our time. I also saw today more, more animals running for political office. Uh, there's a nice picture of a that eating a piece of pizza and a blue crab holding a cigarette. And it <laughs> it's Pizza Rat Cigarette Crab 2016. Make America Great Again. That so, is... I you, imagine... have, you have lots of options in the animal-based... Right. I'm apparently com- the only one completely out of the loop on non-humans running for president. Yeah. I'm going to guess that, that cigarette crab originally hails from Dundalk or Essex, Maryland. And there is a certain a certain portion of our listeners are going to appreciate that on a deep level because they've been to Dundalk and or Essex and know full well that that is where a cigarette crab certainly is wrong. Hey, hey, welcome in. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all, all from blackandredunited.com where you can find us writing about DC United and soccer more generally. We've got a good show for you tonight. If my neighbors don't knock the wall down watching Monday Night Football, uh, my cat doesn't break the wall down into my podcast chamber. Yeah, Jason, what structural damage do you have pending to your uh, Uh, sanctuary there? I mean, I kind of wish I had the window open, but that's about it. That's the best I can do. You have the truck inside your computer. Exactly. Yeah, which uh, I never find out about until you guys tell me it's happening. <laughs> well, hopefully it doesn't during the show because it, it, right. it's not good for audio quality. This is great radio, by the way, you guys. DC United fell at home 2-1 to one to the Columbus Crew on Saturday. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Tuesday night's game in Jamaica. Uh, DC United has their final group stage game in the CONCACAF Champions League at Montego Bay United. And we will preview DC United's trip this weekend up to Montreal. Before we get to any of that, though, we have a very special and sad "What are you drinking?" segment. Ben, you care to kick it off? I guess I should, because it's my thing. <laughs> uh, so yeah, five games winless in the league. I think. First time since 2013 that, that something yeah. anything like this has happened. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going back to straight shots of liquor. I'm not doing vodka because this isn't a historically terrible season. Uh, and vodka shots of vodka are disgusting, so I'm doing a straight shot of tequila right now. So, bon voyage. 
Salud. What kind of tequila was it? Oh, what is it even called? I don't even remember what it's called. It's the cheapest 100% agave tequila that you can find at the Virginia ABC stores. All right. But at least it's 100% agave, so it's not terrible, disgusting... Cuervo? Like Cuervo. It's drinkable, is what you're saying. It's something. All right, I am joining Ben in my uh, protest shot. I've got a shot of bullet here. Oh, you went fancy. Well, it's what I I had. It was that or something significantly fancier. But it's not that fancy. Do the shot with your pinky out to satisfy Ben. (laughs) Fine. My pinky is out. You jerks. (laughs) <laughs> but I need another drink, so I have a DC brow brow pills to to chase it. So, oh, for my second drink, I just poured more tequila in my glass. Good work. <laughs> That's dedication to the bit, Ben. I like it. I went with a shot and a beer. I went you went with, with shot and a shot. Yeah. I like it. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh. For my, my shot, I didn't grab a shot glass. I just grabbed the flask, um, which is filled with my uh, apple-infused uh, Gentleman Jack that turned out much better because of my efforts, though it just took a long time to come around. Wait, did um, you bring that to the tailgate? I didn't bring it to the tailgate, um, which is okay. why there's still some left in the flask, because I'm down to what's in this flask. The rest of it's gone. Okay. Um, but I was uh, going to get mad that you didn't offer me any at the tailgate. No, I just I did not have it with me. Um, so I have that, and, uh, I, well, I guess I'm supposed to do the shot first, and then I can tell you my other drink, <laughs> how we're doing it. We, you, however you want, dude, we're, we're pretty all right, well, I'm just going to do it all at once, because that, that seems ridiculous to take a break in the middle. Um, last week I told you guys that I would definitely have drank all of the, uh, um, Oktoberfest, the, the Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, that was a lie. Uh, <laughs> I ended up getting distracted and not drinking all of it, so I'm drinking one of those as well. So it's the Excellent. same beer as last week, and I'm a liar, and now I'll do my shot. Which is really more of a pull than a shot. It's a hearty pull. But yeah, I, I can confirm. Watching yeah. you, it was a solid pull. It was not not some some, some wimpy pull. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to come in here and fake you guys out about that. I might lie about how much beer I might drink, but I won't lie to you about how much liquor you're actually drinking. <laughs> yes. Um, I have my right. priorities. So after the DC United or the Black and Red United tailgate on Saturday, which was a rousing success. Thank you, everyone who came out. We had a lot of fun. We got a picture with Talon. We saw Talon do some pull-ups with the Marines, which was no a little interesting. No mascots tried to steal our beer this time. No. Yeah, no mascots, no mascots tried we, to steal our beer. Uh, the, next, mascot. <laughs> the next tent over, though, they're t- they, they kind of... There were so many people at the tent next door that they did start coming take and taking beers out of our cooler. Um, so, so we did have beer stolen. It just wasn't by anthropomorphic tennis balls this time, but you know, you can't have everything after all that DC United went out and took the field and fell behind two to nothing to the crew goals by Ethan fam, Finley and Kai Kamara United pulled one back on a Chris Roth penalty was not enough though. They ended up falling two to one. Ben, the story about this game was the at least coming out of the locker room is we're disappointed with the result, but this was an improvement. This is the best they've played in in a couple months, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, do you buy that? I don't know about a couple months. It's probably the best they've played in this winless streak. Uh, I can believe that, but 
being proud of the best you've played and it still being a loss, that's some bad messaging coming out of the team. Uh, I'd prefer them to be more angry about it and dedicated and just... I mean, it, it, in the end, it doesn't really matter what they say, but it's it's it feels bad after the fifth game in a row that you haven't won. So I, I, I'd, I'd prefer... It feels so bad, in fact, you're quoting Linkin Park lyrics. Oh, God, am I? I'm, well, I guess I'm one step closer to the edge, and I'm about to break. I'm going to leave the show. <laughs> I was really hoping Ben was just going to take so his, to his tequila show. cup at that point. <laughs> it was just so forlorn. <laughs> there he goes. Good work. I'm grateful that none of you have voices like the guy that sings for them, because then we would not have a show at all. And I probably would not speak to you in person. Just to preserve my ears. Anyway, take that, take that Lincoln part. <laughs> to be clear, you're referring to the guy who scream sings, not the guy who raps. Correct. Correct. Okay. The other guy sounds like a normal human being. All right, Jason, there were not a ton of great chances in this game, Linkin Park-related or otherwise. Um, there were a few for, for each team, but, but let's talk about the actual goals, neither of which I think United should be happy about happening. They, they seem to both come from individual mistakes by defenders. Uh, the first one, Ethan Finley got basically posted up on Kemp. It, it was weird. It was an interesting sequence, and Kemp ended up on the, I guess, right side of of goal, uh, marking Finley when he received the ball and let Finley turn and, and get off a quick shot that Hamid tried to react to and just couldn't get to it. What did what did you make of that goal, and, and should Kemp have done better? Am I being too harsh on him? Uh, I mean, yeah, he probably should have. Um, but at the same time... It's one of those goals where, you know, Tyson Wall is one of Columbus's center backs, and he's in the run of play in United's area. Um, so th- that's the kind of problem they pose for teams um, by getting players into that many positions that you end up disorganized yourselves. Uh, or, well, I shouldn't say you do. You do if you're going to lose to Columbus. And giving up a goal like that was a that was the end of a long stretch of DC United attempting to play Columbus at their own game. Um, so. Yeah, Kemp probably should be doing better, but also there are structural issues coming into play there where you have to wonder about the entire team um, finding themselves in that situation where Wall is in the box and making a pass um, across the grain to set the, set the goal up. Um, no one on that side of the field, the, the United's right, Columbus's left, um, is doing enough there to, to put a stop to it. And... Columbus wasn't even at full strength on that side because Waylon Francis wasn't available, um, and Chris Cludy uh, hasn't played very well this season. It's been kind of odd because he's gotten – last year he was not able to play his best position and suffered. This year he just hasn't been very good. Um, it should have been something United was better prepared for and better about, and uh, Columbus, to their credit, forced United to play it that way, and United didn't pull the game back out, and – this is the kind of goal that is sort of symptomatic of it. I thought this game was very, overall, like across the board, was very indicative of the, the score was fair and the goals came in ways that sort of underlined what the teams were up to. And it, it was really a game where everything sort of made sense, unfortunately. Well, and something I noticed looking at it is Boswell and Burnbaum 
before Wall is, runs into the box, they both go for the same header to clear the ball, and they both miss, and so they're both out of position as well, leaving only the two fullbacks, and eventually Marcus Halstey tracks back in the box, but that's all that's in there. Yeah, it was not a not a great play. The second goal came after United really tried to be aggressive to open the second half. It was right after the the opening whistle of the second half. Um, United took the ball and, and pinned Columbus back, it seemed, for a little while. And then all of a sudden, Columbus broke all at once. United had committed to way too many bodies forward. And Tony Chani found the ball in just a little pocket of space, took a couple touches forward, and then released Kai Kamara. Steve Birnbaum took a criminally bad line to try to shut Kamara down. And Kamara just ended up accelerating right past him one-on-one with Hamid and... Kamara is a guy who doesn't miss those too often at this point in in time. Ben, a lot of people have been calling for Kofi Opare to get the nod over Birnbaum. Opare, on the other hand, hasn't been as good as Birnbaum when they play together. What do you make of this mistake in particular and then more generally the position battle between the two of them? I mean, yeah, this mistake was pretty bad. I mean, he, he did a pretty horrid job of one-on-one defending. And even if he had done it right, who knows if he would have been able to prevent Kai Kamara from uh, breaking on him. But he probably would have been able to slow him down. But when the ball gets played, he takes a step forward. And when he takes that step forward, basically Kamara's already by him. And then, again, takes a bad line to try and catch back up with him. And it was just bad overall. Um with Apare, I mean, his last couple, of, his last game in the league was bad. I mean, it wasn't better than, not bad, bad, but it wasn't any better than Burnbaum. Uh, so I don't know if replacing one of them is uh, replacing him with Apare is the right choice. But at this point, you've got to do something. So maybe you do, maybe you do bench uh, Burnbaum for Apare and give him a shot. Uh, I feel like you have to do something. Jason, what do you think? Uh, I am not sold on benching Burnbaum, but that mistake was that was a bad play, and he should. Feel I mean, yeah, bad. I'm not. Sold and on he him does either, feel but... bad. He slapped the post pretty hard. I th- I felt worried that he was going to hurt his hand. Mm. Though he smacked the post after the goal. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I'm not convinced either. But it's been five weeks of this, and something's got to happen. I don't know. I, I mean, the, the only downside of it to me becomes Opari's performances of late haven't been good either. Um, exactly. The, the game against Arabe Unido, he was the worst defender United had on the field, which when we're playing backup fullbacks or deep down the bench fullbacks, uh, that should not be the case. Um, he's better than that. Birnbaum is better than that. Um, you know, I would, if if Kitchen wasn't suspended, I would bring up the possibility of moving Marcus Halstey back there for a game, uh, just to you know, alternately to give a jolt and also maybe to reduce the team's reliance on going long or at least increase their ability to complete those passes because Halstey is a better passer than any of our defenders. Um, but right now, I it's a tough it's a tough situation because. Neither player, neither center back partner for Boswell is putting forward evidence that they should be the starter. And it's not where the grass, it's not the grass is always greener. It's like right now both lawns are dead. Um, 
which uh, is unfortunate and uh, is also, as we are about to approach fall, about as appropriate a metaphor as I'm going to serve up tonight. Um, but uh, Finish your now, drinks, folks. Right. Um, I, I would say I would leave Burnbaum in right now just for the fact that Opare hasn't uh, played up to his potential lately. He's been making mistakes as well, and uh, maybe they're not... The thing is, he's not making the big mistake... Burnbaum is making, but he's making a higher quantity of mistakes. Um, and if Burnbaum cuts out that one big mistake per game, then it seems like he's getting turned very easily. If he can cut that out, I really don't think we're complaining about him very much anymore. Whereas Opari has mistakes in different categories. It's more than one fix that, that needs to be made. Maybe they're not bigger fixes, but it's different things that have to be dealt with. And you can't, you just run out of time, basically, especially when you've got games midweeks or midweek to straighten it out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if, if Burnbaum can show in practice that he's not going to get spun every time Saborio posts up on him or, or equivalent, you know, or Arietta or anyone else that might post up against him in any training drill, if he can stop that, then the problem really becomes a lot less severe. It's just a lot of these goals have been him one-on-one with a target man who has his back to goal, and then that guy spins away. Whether it's when he's on the ball or this one was Kamara chasing a ball down and I think Burnbaum didn't actually ever see the ball. I think he was looking at Kamara, who made the whose body look like he was trying to receive the ball, and then turned away. And by the time he spun away, Burnbaum sees the ball and he sees the angle it's rolling at, and he's at that point it's too it's too late. Um, it's still a mistake. Um, it's it's an odd sort of mistake where you literally you, you take up a position where you can't see the ball because you're looking at someone's back instead. Um, which is a little different from like the Devin Sandoval for RSL goal, um, where Sandoval just caught him by surprise and physically pushed him aside um, to to shoot. Um, so it's something he's definitely got to improve upon. Uh, but at the same time, you can say Opara has to improve his distribution, his decision making. So um, I guess we're just having a downer podcast. Is is where this is going? Well. That's a great transition for this next question. Ben, how different would our tenor be right now if if Alvaro Sabarillo's goal had been allowed? It was disallowed for offside, and there was some debate, but uh, of all people, Simon Borg uh, at instant replay uh, seems to have found the definitive screen cap right as Chris Pontius plays the ball into Sabarillo, and he looks level with the second-to-last defender. It looks like he's onside and the goal should have been allowed. And a 2-2 two to two game is very different than, than a 2-1 to one game. And would we still sound as down if Sabo's goal had been correctly allowed? I mean, we wouldn't sound quite as down, but, I mean, it's still winless in... It's still winless in five. I mean, yes, it's a... It's More importantly, point. would we be doing shots if it was a draw instead of a loss? No, we would not, we would not have been doing shots. I, I, I don't think we would be doing that because they would have gotten a point and... That's the reason we didn't do shots, or at least I didn't do shots last week, is because they got the point <laughs> two weeks ago, or whatever it was, because they got the point uh, against the Rapids. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, obviously that was a that could have been a game changer, and it's always going to be. I mean, the uh, assistant referees are, are human too, and they make mistakes. But it just sucks that this one had to go against United, and literally changed the game. Um, 
And he, so, and Sub and Subria uh, had some other. He had that nice uh, flick in the first half as well. So he, he had a header that should have been on goal. Yeah, that too. Um, so. In the second half, that that he missed, and I, I had different seats than usual. I was right near the that end line, right on the field, basically down in the one hundred section, and it looked like it went in. I couldn't. My depth perception was was thrown yeah. off, and I thought it went in at first until. I saw their reactions and everything. It's like, wait, that didn't go in. It was so close to the post, but it seemed like it should have. It definitely should have been on frame. And his finishing woes are obviously continuing. It would have been nice to see him get off the schneid. Yeah, yeah. I will say he he was. It was good to see him involved. Um, Yeah. You know, bad finishing. You know, the breakaway in the first half that really would have um, papered over a lot of the cracks, scoring early like that, but. Um, in previous games, he wasn't getting to that chance or any of these chances, really. Um, I think he ended up with more shots. It was, I think, five shot attempts, which would have been like two or three games worth in previous form. Um, so that's a big step for Saborio. He needed to come up and show that he actually deserves to be a starter. And this week, yes, it's it's irritating to see your high-paid striker not finish, but... First things first, based on his last performances, you got to start thinking about, let's just get him involved in the game first, and then we can start harping on finishing after um, after he shows that he can even get into shooting positions. So, you know, first step, step one was, was the performance this week, and now he has to take it to Montreal and stay as involved, but, you know, finish one. Step three is profit. Yes. I, Always. One one last thing I want to talk about on on this one, and that's Ben Olsen's substitutes or lack thereof, um, early enough in games seemingly to make a difference. I know Ben, you and I harped on this against Colorado that, that even before the hour mark, the game was screaming out for some kind of substitute, and that was the case in this game too. Yep. And Ben Olsen doesn't make that sub until around the 70th minute. He doesn't even make it at the hour mark. He makes it probably 15. Yeah, 15 or even 20 minutes later than than it seems like he probably should make the first sub if he actually wants it to impact the game. Yeah. And yes, I used impact as as a verb. Or wait, is it not a noun? Whatever it is. Impact's one of those weird words that people get funny about. But you didn't use impactful, which I am thankful for. There we go. So I'll give myself credit for that. Ben... Do you have any inkling why Olsen doesn't use his subs in a, a more aggressive manner? We saw Greg Berhalter from a leading position make subs and make aggressive subs that completely changed the shape of his team. He brought in a center back for Ethan Finley at one point. Why doesn't Benny use his subs, basically? I have I have no idea. Uh, we know Ben Olsen used to make early subs. Uh, long-time readers of the site will remember what we used to call Branko time uh, when uh, but also would always bring off uh, Branko Boscovich around the 55th minute, uh, almost almost inevitably. And that's the, that's the point in the game that this, that a sub was called for. Uh, my only thought is maybe he's trying to give this group of players just more time together to try and gel uh, as the Season as the season progresses and we get closer to the playoffs, but there's there's no there's no logical reason for not trying to change the game uh, at the 60 minute mark when 
obviously it's it hadn't been working. And you've got reasonable options on your bench. You've got Chris Pontius. You've got Michael Farfan. You've got Jairo Arrieta. You've got Connor Doyle. You've got Miguel Aguilar. You've got options on the bench. So to wait until uh, past the 70th minute and to sometimes just not use all your subs in these games is, is ridiculous. Jason, any thoughts before we take a quick break? Yeah, I would say that this was a game that definitely should have seen an earlier sub. I think that's a one of the few things that all fans of all stripes are going to agree with. Um, Farfan probably was the person to bring in, um, especially soon after Kamara's goal. It's to, at two nothing with the team that was on the field. It's not going to happen. You've got to do something to to change that group um, and make it a more aggressive group. Um, I will say, to to go back to Adam's comparison between Burhalter subs and Olsen subs, um, Columbus is more fluid and they're less dependent on staying in a given defensive shape um, because they're, they're a higher-risk team and thus they're going to play riskier soccer, not just going forward, but also in terms of w- being willing to defend with fewer players. Um, so they they are more willing to change formation in in search of something, and there are plenty of times where Burhalter's done it and it's it's not worked. But that's the whole nature of taking risks. Um, United doesn't change formation as much in games, uh, which is all well and good. But when you when you're down two nothing to a team that can possess the ball as well as Columbus does, and I, I saw a note from someone in Columbus uh, a pass chart for the minutes after the Kamara goal. And Columbus, at the possession, it was like 70% possession for Columbus mm-hmm. during that spell of the game. Um, Columbus, Matt Doyle in, highlighted that in his column yeah. today, too. Um, and Columbus, you know, that's that's how you kill a game if you're Columbus, is you just take the ball and you say, we're going to keep this, and that's that. Um, and United needed to do something during that stretch to change the game. Now, granted, that stretch did end with Sean Franklin's cross that became the handball that became the penalty kick, but that can't be it because that's kind of a, you know, how often do we see a defender not stick their arm out on that cross and defend it correctly, and then we don't get a penalty kick. Um, So I I think United needed something. I also wasn't happy to see Aguilar left out. I thought this was a good game to have him, to throw him into this game. Um, I I didn't expect he was going to start, but to have him available in case this scenario that unfolded did unfold. Um, I think it would have been very, very useful to have him uh, punishing Columbus for the fact that they want to push their fullback so high and they want to spread things out. Um, I, having him available to, to make them regret that space, uh, you, that use of space would have been really nice. I think he would have been a lot more useful than Connor Doyle was to carry him on the bench this time around. Not that he got in and it's not, Doyle's fault that the game went wrong, but um, as an 18 for this game, I, I don't think it was an ideal 18 because Aguilar would have been a very good player to have against Columbus. Um, so I guess it's a, a combination of the players available and then also not making a sub during a stretch of the game where something had to change and too much time ticked off and, and looking at the end of the game where we've got the two offside goals getting called back, um, you start to think to yourself that with another 10 minutes, would United have been able to scratch out the equalizing goal and, and you know, escape this thing? Um, but you don't need a 100-minute soccer game. You need to take those 10 minutes back from after the Kamara goal. 
you know, the, the area between that goal and the penalty is where you get your 10 minutes back instead of watching the crew pass the ball with ease for a long, long time. That's when it should have happened. And that was a, you know, that's an opportunity lost right there, and you can't you can't get it back, and you run out of time. All right, we are not running out of time. We are taking a break, and we will be right back with more filibuster. So stick around. This is filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never ever use the term correctly. Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So, Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. He, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. It's time now to stop dwelling on the past and turn instead to the the bright, bright future in the warm paradise of Jamaica. Because DC United is traveling to face Montego Bay United Tuesday night on 8 p.m. Of course, this game is happening on Fox Soccer Plus, which raises the question, is it actually happening? No. Um, so, so it could be that Jamaica is an imaginary paradise and there is no game and, and Conca Champs is a lie and there's no soccer and other paraphrasing from video games and movies, that I'm going to stop now and instead talk about the game that may or may not be happening in Jamaica. It's especially funny because (laughs) this game almost doesn't matter at all because DC United have already clinched the top spot in the group and the spot in the quarterfinals as a result. Seeding is still up for grabs. Um, A perfect record would presumably give D.C. United a higher seed than they would otherwise get in the eight-team knockout phase. But as we learned last year, seeding is not exactly a huge deal. United had the number one seed last year, went down to Alohalense to play, or to Alohala to play the number eight seed, Alohalense, and got smoked. So seeding is not, I think, at the front of Olsen. It's probably not even in the back of Ben Olsen's mind. He probably isn't even making this trip. That's how not happening this game is. Um, and and we're going to give it exactly as much attention as it deserves. And I have one question about this game, and one question only. Ben, will Perry Kitchen make the, make the trip and play in this game? Because he is suspended against Montreal. So it makes sense not to send Halsty, but instead to send Perry Kitchen to maybe even wear the armband in this game. Yeah, it would make sense, especially because uh, yeah, you don't want to send Halsty, and you don't want to necessarily send uh, Michael Farfan, who is likely to play in uh, Kitchen's stead uh, against the Montreal Impact. So 
yeah, you probably want to start a central midfield of Jared Jeffrey and Perry Kitchen, which is a strange and interesting central midfield, but that's probably what we're going to see. And I mean, obviously it should be enough, but um, yeah, I think Perry Kitchen, I mean, they're already there. So hopefully Perry Kitchen has already made the uh, flight and hopefully he'll be starting tonight as you listen to this. Jason, what do you think? Who who do you want to see in central midfield for this game? Uh, I would actually like to see Colin Martin get a start uh, with Jared Jeffrey. Um, he can he can uh, get a full maybe he won't get a full ninety, but he can get sixty or seventy minutes playing his actual real position of attacking midfield. He's not gonna he shouldn't be on the left or on the right. No. Uh, Michael Farfan shouldn't be having to go play major minutes uh, in a game that means nothing to virtually anyone except for uh, three or four United fans that were smart enough to go to Jamaica. Uh, Including our own Don right. Wine, who is yes. down there, he, and who will hopefully have an amazing story that may or may not be related to harrowing cab rides and, that and, we can if, uh, have him on next week yeah. to talk about. <laughs> and, and if you see him on TV... Uh, well, if you see and if you see this game, first of all, you've already uh, it'll be you and like twenty other people um, because Fox Soccer Plus is not real. But yes, you will see you will see him because inevitably they'll show a crowd shot, and inevitably this game being a Champions League game in Jamaica, but not um, or no, it is actually Montego Bay Stadium does get to host. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember now. Um, but in any case, I'll have to look that up. Um, They'll be there because there will only be they'll be obvious because there will only be like a handful of people there. Um, but no, I, I want to see Colin Martin playing. Um, I want to see him trying to run the attack. Uh, this is a level that he's qualified to play at. He's done it with the kickers in the past. Um, it's really been kind of a lost 2015 for him due to injury, due to illness. Um, so it would be really good to see him actually getting to play uh, real minutes in 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 a game that. Is going to be real despite the the questions about the game it being that technically theoretical. counts. It, it, it will be real. I'm not saying it necessarily counts for much, but it, it will exist in reality. Um, that and the other idea I would have was going back to kitchen. Um, maybe the thing to do with kitchen, and I know we've often said that there's no good time for kitchen to ever play defense. But maybe he maybe this is uh, the time. Maybe he plays center back so that Steve Birnbaum doesn't have to, or Bobby Boswell, who we know isn't going to have traveled. Um, someone ha- someone has to play center back because we just don't have enough defenders otherwise. Um, we can't play Jalen Robinson there because then we run into the same issue at right back, having no right backs left. So right backs left. If you can figure out what we're talking about, uh, please let us know. Job than we have. All right, let's let's. Colin Martin. Move on, then. Um, I, I agree. I agree, Colin Martin. All right, so we do want to see Perry Kitchen play, but weirdly, we all kind of want to see him play in center back in this game. Go figure. It's, uh, it's, only, it's purely about the game against Montreal uh, and, yes. and protecting legs for that one. It's it, Otherwise, I would say just leave him and play with, with fewer guys. Well, I, I think it's pretty unlikely that we're actually taking a full 18 down there, so so yeah, it yeah. is an open question unless someone has intel um, from the airport or something. It is an open question whether Kitchen made the trip. Uh, I'll note that while we were talking about him, Donald is has updated his Twitter account to say that he is 
hearing reggae music, drinking Red Stripe, 14 floors above the Jamaican night in Montego Bay. So uh, there you go. He's there, at, or he's a liar, but I don't think he's a liar. I want to know so why he's, he's 14 stories up. I think he should be on the ground. He is slacking uh, right now. Maybe they went to the beach and, and are going to, to uh, shower and go somewhere else. I don't know their or plans. Maybe, or, maybe they're they're at a, or if they're at a ridiculous party 14 stories up. Exactly. That, it could be like a I rooftop bar. I can live there with There you that. go. It, it's 14. There, that's why he's there. It's because it's 14 floors. All right, let's go. Let's go ahead and go from Jamaica. The Nahar Suite. <laughs> if hotels in Jamaica are anything like in the U.S., he's actually on the 13th floor, and they yeah. just don't have a number 13. That's neither here or there. Let's maybe, turn our maybe attention. Calculated that into his tweet. Let's turn our attention to Canada. <laughs> As I interrupted myself. Um, DC United at Montreal Saturday, 5 p.m. A strange kickoff time. Uh, for a Saturday night, but 5 p.m. It's on Comcast Sportsnet Mid-Atlantic and MLS Live if you are not in the DMV area. The Impact are actually looking pretty good right now. They're looking playoff bound. Uh, They are a point ahead of Orlando City for the sixth and final playoff spot, but they have games in hand on everybody, so Orlando's not catching them. There's actually a pretty good chance Montreal jumps into... uh, fifth over Toronto, maybe even overtakes DC for fourth if United ah. can't get get into gear here. Um, Montreal in four games in September. Um, most recently a 3 nothing win at home over the New England Revolution, who, by the way, are also a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. So they've been looking pretty good, the impact. Um Jason, they are going to be without Marco Donadell for this one. He had a red card, possibly a multi-game ban coming because it was a really horrendous cleats-to-the-chest type tackle uh, against the Revs. What what does he bring to the table when he's there for the impact, and, and what are they going to be missing without him? Uh, Donadell is Montreal's cynical side. Um, he, stops, he stops plays by committing fouls. He makes no bones about it. Um, he's the guy that, uh, if you kick Ignacio Piatti, you'll eventually see him because he's kicked you, um, as a, as a return. And it might not happen he's right away. He's a hockey-style enforcer, is what you're a saying? A little bit. Um, but he does have a knack for swinging, being able to swing the point of possession, um, which for Montreal is important because their wingers are so vital to what they try and do going forward. Um, mostly, though, his job is to position himself well enough to stop counterattacks against Montreal because when they do attack, they like to send everyone in their front four likes to go forward. There's not really much waiting. You don't see a couple guys go and then another layer of players coming in behind them. It's usually all four push in um, and then maybe someone supports them. So a lot of times after they attack, if it fails, he's got to be in a spot to clog things up, slow, slow things down or just make a foul. Um, I think that with his background in Italy, they thought he would be smart enough to just have to clog things up and that would be it. But it turns out he's not actually that think fast of a thinker um, compared to everyone else in MLS, and so he has to give away a ton of yellow cards. Um, they don't really have a good replacement for him um, as far as that goes. Um, Nigel Rio Coker is available, but he tends to join the attack a little more. Um, he's not really as good switching the point of attack. He's more of a driving uh, central midfielder, he, he pushes the attack forward um, on the dribble, uses his physical strength uh, to 
get involved defensively, but um, Callum Malice, I guess, will have to take Donadell's role, but he's not really cut out for that either. Um, so I'm not really sure. You know, Kyle Becker has all of a sudden started getting involved, but he's a very different player from Donadell. So it's kind of a guessing game um, with who will take that spot because there are several. Montreal is overstocked on guys that can play in the holding midfield roles in their 4 2 3 1. Uh, they just, I don't know why, they just got hooked on signing guys that could play defensive midfield uh, in that formation, and so they have too many, and all of them have been getting their getting appearances in here and there. So, uh, but, but on the other hand, it's it's weird how they've got a surplus and yet they don't have a Donadell esque player to be that sort of uh, bring that edge to the game for them in central midfield if you're gonna. If you're going to see him as a positive factor, I guess you'd have to call it edge rather than just outright lack of respect for other human beings. Um, but uh, it, it sort of belies his appearance, which is surfer dude. Uh, he does not look like someone who goes around trying to assault people, but he is. That's who he is. You know, it's a nice uh, cover. It's a nice disguise for him. He looks like he could be one of uh, Patrick Swayze's buddies in Point Break. Uh, except those guys did rob banks, so I guess I, I I just don't know enough about surfer dudes. I guess is what you just really, completely defeated your own point. I did. It, it occurred to me while I was saying it that this is going to ruin it, but whatever. <laughs> I was you just went ahead anyway. Look in my head now. Bodie was the guy's name. Patrick Swayze was named Bodie. <laughs> Can't even. This podcast is as tight as DC United's defense. Indeed. Um, and my, my next note on here, Ben, is is really insightful, I think. Okay, and yeah. I think you're going to appreciate it and I be will. able to expound on it. Mm-hmm. Didier Drogba is good at soccer. He real good. <laughs> that's my point. That, that's, that's my response. He real, good. <laughs> he real good. It turns out Didier Drogba is still um, very good, at, at least at the MLS level. Ben, how can what can DC United do to help contain him? I, I think... Don't give up free kicks is is one of them because he scored on a weird one this week. But how do you contain Drogba, even in 2015? I mean, the way D.C. United's defense has been playing recently, they won't. Uh, They've got a – to borrow Jason's uh, typical typical statement, they've they've got to play better soccer. Uh, The the Bobby Boswell and Steve Birnbaum of 2014 – could do a decent job against Drogba, as good a job as anybody could. I mean, he may still score, but they'd do as good a job of anybody. But unfortunately, especially with Birnbaum, and only mildly with Boswell, not not even really that much, it, it just hasn't been there this season. And uh, the midfield hasn't been as good. So Kitchen and Kitchen's partner, whomever that has been uh, recently, have not been as good as in breaking up play in the midfield. So it's going to be a challenge and I don't, I don't know if they're up to it. I hope they're up to it, but I don't know. Jason, the impact attack right now seems to be centered mostly around Ignacio Piatti and Didier Drogba. They use their wings, but, but everything runs through those two guys in the middle. Um, is that perception right on my part, and what can United do to to counteract that and and keep their defense from keep our defense from just being an open gate? 
Well, I, th- I think it's a two-part thing. Against Piani, you've got to shut down the space uh, in between the lines because that's where he's always he's always going to go between the lines. He's not a um, Iguain sort of wanderer uh, to compare compare it to this week against Columbus. Um, Piani tends to stay in and around where the number ten would be on a piece of paper or a chalkboard if you drew it up. Um, so you've got to compress his space. Last time Montreal actually used him to disrupt United's attempts to play out of the back. So they also have to look for that because I feel like even though Frank Klopas has been fired, um, that was probably – I'm sure the coaching staff there was like, hey, that worked really well. We took 25 shots and they only took one, and it was a ridiculously freakish loss. Uh, so they're probably going to try that again with on Marcus Halstead this time. I assume he'll take that uh, job as the, the outlet from, from the center back. So – it's a that I guess that part takes two steps on its own, um, and then dealing with Drogba is really about you've got to prevent him from being a back to goal option. He can't if he's going to try collect the ball with his back to goal, he can't then have an easy pass to anyone else. It's got to be difficult for him, and then he's going to try and peel off and get in behind or or lose his man, um, and that becomes uh, he's popping up in different spots, so it's really the whole back four is going to have to be alert to if he makes if he knocks the ball down in a header or if he makes that back pass, he's going to be looking for an, a lane to run through, um, and people have to be tracking him because he, he's, after a first game where he really didn't look, he looked kind of like everyone's worst-case scenario for uh, a 37-year-old coming to MLS, um, and then after that, he found his stride and all of a sudden looks like a guy that was winning Champions Leagues, um, and he doesn't look like a guy who has no energy left in his legs. Um, so United's really got to deal with two different problems with those two, um, and a lot of that will come from stepping up when it's right at the right time to step up so that not only does Drogba not have the ability to knock the ball back or control things with his back to goal, but by stepping up, you've also shut Piatti, uh down to a certain extent. You've denied him that extra space to create and you've, you've for, you, at that point, you're sort of forcing Montreal to, to attack down the wings, which they're also good at. But uh, if you're going to pick your poison, you're definitely going to want the guys they have on the flanks doing the creating rather than Piotti and Drogba. You know, any, anyone in the league is going to take um, Dilly Duca and um, Andres Romero instead of Piotti and Drogba as the creative hub for a team. So um, that's, what, uh, that's the job, really, is to, to make them – not want to play into the middle, you know, to make them play it wide and, and put crosses in and be a little more predictable that way. Ben, anything you want to add for things you want to see from DC in this game other than, you know, better soccer, better defense, a better result? I mean, more yeah, that, I mean, yeah, that, that's it in general. I mean, specifically, I want to see... Taylor Kemp play better. Uh, he hasn't been as deadly on his uh, service recently, and when he's not deadly on his service, if he keeps playing defense like he does, it, that I mean maybe just put Chris Corb out there in a in a full leg cast might be just as effective as having Taylor Kemp out there. Um, I was gonna say, you know, put Luke Mishu, but but you went full on. <laughs> Luke Mishu, traction. 
Yeah, Luke Mishu, Jalen Robinson. I mean, he's a right back, but whatever at this point. If I mean, yeah, if, if Taylor Kemp isn't whipping in good crosses to make up for his defensive sometimes lapses, often lapses recently, uh, yeah, Ben Olsen should seriously consider trying anybody else there uh, at this point. So that, that's that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for a resurgent performance from Taylor Kemp. All right. Jason, any thoughts on Michael Farfan um, and how, assuming he comes out, and I, I I think at this point it's probably our best, the best set of anyone on United's bench that's going to take the place of Perry Kitchen in midfield alongside Marcus Holstey. Do you think United switches to the four-one-three-two that they used him in previously, and do you think that that's a good look against Montreal? Uh, it can be, but it it requires United to compress the space in the midfield with those four players, but also not necessarily get caught. Farfan's got to have a lot of touches, but not have a lot of time on the ball. Um, Halsey as well, because of the numerical advantage, because of how Montreal based on the way that they tried to play United last time, the central midfielders are going to be involved, but they need to be playing one and two touch, which means they need to be thinking fast, but also everyone else around them needs to be moving. So there's, there's a, there's an option. You you can't play one and two touch by yourself. It requires everyone else to help. Um, So United needs to be high energy um, off the ball. Uh, There can't be spells in the game where they're sort of out of it. Um, I will say that if they need a, you know, if, if if it becomes clear they need a break, we might see Farfan drop in alongside Halsty if they want to just play 15 minutes of of you know just trying to defend and and take the air out of the ball and and make the game just sort of ugly and and uneventful. Um, that's the way you would do it. But most of the time they need Farfan getting into better positions and taking advantage of that that new look defensive midfield, whatever it's going to be for Montreal. Um, making those guys have to do some defending and, and do some defending without the guy who generally they turn to to be their most negative player. Um, and, and, you know, see if see if they can find some mistakes there because there are players playing in roles that aren't really they're not really familiar with. Um, I think Farfan's going to be looking a lot to um, Nick DeLeon to help him uh, as far as an option uh, in possession because even when United has played really badly lately, De Leon has usually been active and willing to make himself available for everyone else to play the ball off of real quick. Um, and that's really what Farfan's going to need if this formation is going to work. Um, and it, like I said, it can work, but that stuff has to be in place. Otherwise, basically you're just defending with one less defensive midfielder, and that's never really a good recipe if all you really can muster at that point is sitting in. Your mentioning Nicky actually makes me think that the the second most likely option behind Farfam stepping in is Nick DeLeon moving inside and freeing up space on the wing for a Chris Pontius to, to come in or maybe a Connor Doyle. Uh, or even Farfam on the outside, who knows. Um, in this, but well, but DeLeon, DeLeon actually yeah, did move inside in the, the game against the crew. Yes. For, mm-hmm. for the latter stages. So this is something we, we definitely could see either along, Nick DeLeon alongside or in front of Marcus Halstey. Yeah. It's, uh, I think the main thing, though, um, you mentioned Pontius coming in possibly if the, in that scenario. I think 
United needs to keep Roth on the left for this game because Montreal's right side is weaker. Um, it's not just where their weaker fullback is. It's also where, uh, regardless of what center back they play, it's going to be Lawrence Simon playing left center back and the right center back is going to be some other guy. Um, and that means that that's where they're going to be weakest is that the right half of their defense is going to be the lesser half, um, which means we want, we should want Rolf over there. And the last couple of games, he's been getting a little more key passes or a few more key passes. It's just uh, a little less constantly involved. It's sort of, he's involved and then he goes away for a while. Um, I think this would be a good opportunity for him to have a prolonged impact on the game, not to use the name impact, but I couldn't avoid it. Um, so that's that's one thing I would want in that situation is if De Leon is going to come inside, you've got to look at, uh, I mean, unfortunately, we know that Doyle is going to give a lot defensively, but offensively at the MLS level, he doesn't tend to have a big a big effect on anything. Um, he well, just if sort this of, is like the 2013, if this stretch of the season is like the 2013 season, he will score against the Montreal Impact. That's true. So this year, that this year he transferred back to Chicago, um, another <laughs> bad team that he tends to score upon. Um, he did the reverse Klopas. Right. Uh, he, well, I guess we just need to get Klopas back in the league so that Doyle can keep terrorizing his team. Um, Wait, but, who did uh, Klopas coach before Chicago? Because that'll be Doyle's next. He, no, he, he didn't coach reverse. anyone before he didn't coach anyone. Well, then Doyle's done. Yeah, uh, you doomed him. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, no. In this scenario, I, I would say you have to look at Doyle or Aguilar, um, who could also be a problem for Montreal. But also on the road, you know, you kind of expose yourself. You're already playing without Kitchen, um, and Aguilar does do a lot going forward. He's very exciting to watch, but also can get himself into bad positions where he he doesn't make an obvious mistake, but he walks himself into an area where Montreal wins the ball back. Um, You're saying he's like no Facundo Coria. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> about that. Uh, I still have nightmares about Facundo Coria deciding that he's going to beat FC Dallas on his own. Um, All right, I'm, I keep taking I'm winning this in this a more negative, negative direction. Uh, I'm gonna... I will say uh, the picture of... Coria, Arietta, and Aguilar on the plane, they look like they were having a fun time. Party. That is that is the positive note sometimes, that we end the show on. I was going to say, sometimes it's hard to tell that Coria is posting something when it's not a picture of him because the the fonts he's used to spell his name on Twitter are illegible, um, including pictures and symbols that are, are sort of like letters. Um, but I still find it... I find it kind of fun following him because a lot of the other players on Twitter are just, they don't really say much or do anything. They're very quiet about most things. Um, whereas his Twitter account is not, has not been like media trained down, I guess is the best way to put it. He's, he's sort of a, doing whatever he wants with his account. I guess this is a long way of saying, I wish that the other players would say some odd stuff on Twitter every once in a while or, or use weird fonts or wh- whatever. You really should have let me in the show, and I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, I should have. <laughs> this Instead, is me being. I'm doing a choreo. I'm. Go, I was trying to go for more at the end, and I should have just let it go. <laughs> and that is how we are going to end. And thank you all for listening. Um, if you made it to this point, you are very hearty and quite a trooper, and we appreciate you. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We are on Twitter at filibusterdcu. 
at Black and Red U for the website. Send your email to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, we accept hate mail, and we accept advertising inquiries. And hot takes. Uh, sure, we'll, we'll even take hot takes. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud as well. Mostly tell a friend about us, whether it's when you're at the bar watching the game uh, on Tuesday or on Saturday. You know, just mention Filibuster to a friend and we'll be really appreciative of that. For Jason and Ben, I am Adam. Thank you again to the Ehrlich Law Office. We will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.